Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Oil Spills Podcast. I'm host Craig Ellingson. I'm with Hockey Hall of Fame writer Jim Matheson. We're talking here uh, between road trip and home games for the Oilers. The Oilers return home. Uh, they'll be playing Philadelphia tomorrow. Today's Tuesday, October 15th. Uh, they just came back from a successful road trip. They won three of four. Since we uh, last did a podcast, I mean, James Neal has really become quite the catalyst for the Oilers, especially on the power play. Patty, I, obviously you've watched these games. Tell me about James Neal's performance so far. Well, he seems to have scored every goal five feet and into the net, which is where you want to score them if you're on the power play, because that's where the goals are scored, unless it's a long slapper from the point. So um, he's doing what the Oilers uh, were hoping for. I mean, every time you trade for a player and this was Lucic for Neil, you're hoping that the year before uh, was a one-off for James Neal, who only got seven goals last year and already has uh, eight uh, the first month of the season. So you're hoping that that was just one of those years where the stars didn't align and then he had a bad year, and so far it looks like that was the case. Uh, he's given the orders some secondary scoring, certainly on the power play. Uh, so it's not just... Uh, Nugent Hopkins, McDavid, or Dreisaitl. And and as long as he's as dangerous as he is, is on the power play, the teams don't probably want to take a penalty on the orders because um, they're, they're rolling. They're in the top three at the league, I think, in the power play. So uh, the only team I think that's better is maybe uh, Buffalo for sure, Ralph Kruger's team. Uh, and... So far, everything's, you know, they're, they're strong five on five. They're killing most of the penalties and uh, they're clicking on the power play. So there are really not a lot of negatives when you start the season five and one. Now, I don't think anybody's expecting James Neal to uh, keep up this, this torrid, torrid pace. I mean, eight goals in six games. At some point, he's going to cool off and uh, it won't be this sort of pace. But it's, it's not outside the realm of possibility for him to, you know, obviously score at least 20. If not, you know, you could probably predict, hey, he could score 40 goals or 50. Who knows? And he has been a consistent producer over his career, except for last year in Calgary. You know, at least 20 goals a year ever since his very first season, which was 11, 12 years ago. But at some point, we can't expect James Neal to be popping a goal in every single game. 
Uh, no, but when you've already got eight, the chances of you getting 20 are pretty good. Right. You've got, you've got uh, you 76 got, more games exactly. to get 12 goals. I think you can probably get 12 goals in 76 games. Um, so, yeah, I think. But if James Neal only gets 12 goals in 76 games, then I don't know if the orders are really. <laughs> no, I no. think when you get eight in the first month, I think you're, you're certainly looking at 30, not 20. Uh, and he's not going to be this hot in the power play. And the owner's power play is not going to be this hot, obviously, uh, for the entire year. But, you know, and his shooting percentage, which was 5% last year, um, which is terrible for a shooter of his caliber, is, is back up, you know, over what he what he normally would be, you know, in the 12, 13 range, percent range. So everything's going well for him. Uh, and, you know, as long as... Uh, they can find him. They seem to have that one play set where they work it down low to him. They either take a shot and hope for a rebound and he's five feet from the net to jam it in or he scores a goal like uh, last night in Chicago where it's just a pass across the crease from Nugent Hopkins to him for an easy tap in. So he's, what he is, is and he could have scored a goal actually in, in New York against the Rangers too of the backhand that Lundqvist made a phenomenal uh, save and and I think James thought the puck was going in the net and it, and, and it didn't or he'd have nine goals I mean I think it, I don't think his six goals or rather his eight goals right now are one of those ones you see I oh, said some lucky bounces I don't think he's had any lucky bounces they're all shots into the net so he could have even more than eight it is early in the season six games in and teams haven't seen I mean obviously teams play each other all the time but this is a new season you know obviously James Neal is a new part of the offensive uh, equation for the orders and there's changes so but teams are going to going to adjust to this orders team they're going to watch video they're going to break it down and obviously they're going to start preparing for the orders in a different way uh, that's what I would expect to happen and I would expect we're probably not going to see the orders finish the season with you know 60 wins and uh, 20 losses. Uh, no, but if you can get through the first month and you're five games clear of 500, that means you only have to play 500 the rest of the season and you finish five games over 500. And the Oilers, it's been a while since the Oilers were five games over 500. You know, that one season they had 103 points, but other than that, not much the last uh, dozen years. So if you if you build up some um, security in the first month and you're over 500, uh, you can build on that by one, you know, one game over 500 every month. And at the end of the season, you're 10 games over 500 and that's making the playoffs. So the orders can get through the first month, you know, plus five in terms of wins and losses. They'd be in, in very good shape. And as you pointed out, they're not playing the heavyweights, but who is a heavyweight now? It's early in the season. The Colorado Avalanche haven't lost a game and the Buffalo Sabres have lost one game, but it's in, in, in overtime. And who would think that the Buffalo Sabres haven't lost a game in regulation? So it's early in the season. Uh, but the teams the Oilers are are playing that are theoretically their caliber, they're beaten. And this week, Philadelphia's coming in. They didn't make the playoffs last year. Detroit's coming in. They didn't make the playoffs last year. They go to Winnipeg. Uh, Jets are playing fairly well. They made the playoffs, but then they play Minnesota, didn't make the playoffs. So they're not exactly playing murderer's row here uh, in the first month. And, you know, if that's the case, then win the games and nobody's taking those wins away from you. No, no we haven't seen, they're, as far as division rivals go, I mean, we're, I mean, we did see LA 
and Vancouver to start the year, but those aren't the Vegas Golden Knights or the San Jose Sharks who are We're seeing, and, a, the well, seeing a raft of Eastern teams. And mm-hmm. at the end of the month, the Oilers, you know, go East again, you know, and play uh, Detroit and Columbus and Pittsburgh. And along with, you know, Washington's coming in next week. So there's just a whole raft of Eastern teams and they get seem to get those games out of the way. And then they get settled down to playing more divisional games, except when Calgary, when they don't play Calgary till after Christmas, which, you know, we've already said is patently ridiculous, but uh, win against whoever you got to win. And the Oilers were good against the Eastern Conference last year too. And uh, they are so far. You know, thinking about, you know, Edmonton's start and Buffalo's start, torrid in comparison to, you know, recent and not so recent years. Could you say it's a combination of, you know, maturing young players and obviously both teams have complete coaching changes and that being a spark to basically drive what's what's powering these teams? I think it's the latter more than the the former. Mm-hmm. Different coach. Your team usually has a, a spike when you get a different coach when the season starts and, and Dave Tippett's done you know, a very, very good job. And as Ralph Kruger, the former Oiler coach, has done in, in Buffalo. And so far, uh, they seem to be getting their message across. And and players on teams that miss the playoffs are usually fairly receptive to a new message. They're tired of losing. And the Oilers have certainly been Buffalo. Buffalo is Oilers East, really. They don't make the playoffs either. And every year they go in looking like, oh, this might be an okay team, and then they miss the playoffs. So I think they won 10 games in a row last year and still missed the playoffs in one streak, so still missed them. So um, we can't exactly anoint them a playoff team yet. But early in the season, and it's tough to get a form chart on early t- teams early in the season because some, some of the weaker teams sneak up on teams before they realize, oh, this team's a little better than we thought. And by that the time the game's over, you've lost them. And it's different in the division where you're going to play the team four and five times. But if you only play a team twice, as the orders do to Eastern teams, you just come in and beat them and then say, I'll see you in a couple of months. So I think that has a bearing on it too. The orders have played six games and they've scored 22 goals. And there's been a lack of uh, scoring from the bottom six. Of the 22 goals the orders have scored, 19 of them have come from four players. The top line of Dreisaitl, McDavid, and Cassian as well as James Neal's eight goals. Outside of that, we just have one other forward having scored a goal. The other two coming from defensemen. That'll have to change, I would think. You, you'll want, any team wants to have its bottom six scoring, or is that, or is it a concern? It's not a concern after six games. No. And, you know, we, we've, we've always known the orders are top heavy with talent in the first two lines. But in the past, the bottom six players were getting outscored by the other team's bottom six players. The object of the game is to tread water and and not get outscored. You know, at the end of the night, don't be a minus player if you're a bottom six player and let the, the big guns do it. Now, can, that said, you still need some goals from bottom six players. You can't at the end of the year have six guys in the bottom six with seven goals, you know. 42 goals from the bottom six players, you're going to need, you know, theoretically, you're going to need 60, you know, hopefully you get at least 10 goals for every player in the bottom six. Uh, so that adds up uh, and helps out because sometimes the power play is going to run dry and you're going to need some help 
from other people. Sometimes the big guys are tired, so somebody else has got to chip in. I Right now, it still seems like the Oilers really don't have a third line. If you consider a top nine as offensive players and, a, and another line as a, as a def, more of a defensive line with penalty killers on it, the line with the penalty killers on it is is Sheehan and Kara and either Archibald or Patrick Russell. But that looks more like a fourth line. And, uh, you know, Chason and Nygaard would theoretically be more offensive players with whomever center they have. But so far, um, Nygaard has a goal. But you're right, nobody else is, is doing very much. But, you know, it's you don't want to be overly negative when you won your five and one. So um, if, if the end of the month, the same four players have 90% of the goals and the order has got to look at it and say, okay, we still need something here in the, in the bottom six, if not the fourth line, at least your tip, your theoretically your third line. And it's not to say that any, any of those players, uh, all of the players you've mentioned, you know, I think about Thomas Yurko, Yurcho, sorry. Uh, I think about Riley Sheehan. I think about that, you know, that entire fourth checking line that you're talking about. Like yesterday, you know, Kyra, Sheehan, and Archibald, they they actually had to pin the Blackhawks in their own end for they see That long line stretches. seems to have the ability to keep the puck in the other team's end for the shift they're on, mm-hmm. but they don't ever really look like, oh, we're going to score a goal here. Yeah. But the object is to is to keep the momentum going and not be pinned in your own end, you know by the other team's offensive players. So if you can keep the puck in the other team's end for your 40-second shift and get off, then the better offensive players come out, fine. So, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a trade-off. You don't want to get scored on, but you still kind of hope that at the end of the night, every couple of games, somebody in the bottom six scores a goal. And so far, you know, just the one player in Nygaard. And, but Chason's been sick, so he hasn't. he's only played a couple of games in the last little while, so he's got more offensive ability than, you know, at least last year's 22 to perhaps pot a couple. Yeah, I was going to bring up Marcus Granlin as well because, you know, I, I again, noticeable. Obviously, maybe they're not on the ice long enough. They don't get enough ice time. But then again, they are third and fourth liners. You're not going to reduce McDavid's and dry sidles and Cassian's ice time. And you're not going to start playing your secondary power play unit necessarily more when James Neal on the first power play unit is is clicking. That's I for think sure. you've got, you're going to find that the first line looks pretty good every game. I see no reason to put Cassian anywhere else but that first line. He looks like Tom Wilson in Washington. He's around the net all the time. He could have scored a couple of goals last night. Didn't, but no fault of his own. Crawford just made the saves. The second line looks like two-thirds of a second line with Nugent Hopkins and Neal and whatever left winger plays there. Yurchko looks okay, but also doesn't have a history of scoring a lot of goals either. Nygaard looks like he could be a player there, but he's a rookie in the National Hockey League. So there's no veteran to play there. There's just a, we'll see how this looks turns out on left wing uh, with, you know, you're either Yurchko or, uh, you know, whomever, Nygaard or, or maybe Kara gets a look there sometime or whatever. But uh, so far that's, that's a question mark is in terms of, you can't exactly put that one in pan every night. Oh, that player is going to be playing on that line because that's not, 
so far it's it's Neil and Nugent Hopkins that are working well together and then, and then there's a third member of the line. Like what you heard today? Get more of the Edmonton Journals and the Edmonton Sun's award-winning journalism complimentary for 30 days at edmontonjournal.com slash podcast or edmontonsun.com slash podcast. Just as importantly as scoring and James Neal's exploits on the power play is goaltending. The Oilers have had reliable goaltending every game. Um, whether it's Mike Smith in net or whether it's Koskinen in net. Now, Mike Smith has played more. Koskinen will play against Philadelphia, I'm mm-hmm. sure. I mean, Mike's played four games. The other Koskinen's only played two. Mike played well last night. It's nice to hear this explanation for the second goal by on Nylander. It looked like, ooh, you know, he came out and he got caught in no man's land. But as Mike said, he was waiting for the puck to get to him, and all of a sudden it slowed down. And then he's kind of caught halfway between making a save and playing the puck. And, and he got it through his legs for the second goal. So he played, he was the order's best player last night when they lost the game, you know, 2-1. MB net doesn't, you know, it's not on, on Mike. So, but Koskinen's played two good games. So I'm sure Koskinen will play against Philadelphia. And if he plays well, he'll play again against Detroit. That's you, maybe it's the way it's going to look now. I don't know if you're going to see one goalie playing three games in a row, as long as both of them look pretty good. Apart from the 6-5 game where Mike Smith gave up a couple of goals on his puck handling, uh, every other game has been pretty low scoring in terms of goals allowed. So the, the Oilers, if your goaltenders are only giving up a couple in the games, you're going to win an awful lot of them. That's a boost of confidence. Knowing your goaltender is, is basically, you're, you're expecting him to stop all the shots. As long as you've got McDavid and Drysaddle in your team, you probably don't have to have a goaltender stop every shot. Yeah. But... If he keeps it to two, there's a good chance that those two players... Having both those factors. Oh, yeah. Have, you know, they just want the uh, goaltending to go into the game and the team be confident in whatever goalie they're playing in front of them, saying our goalie is as good as the other team's goalie. And and they're not going to give up goals where, where the players say, oh, what was that? You know, as long as they, as they give up goals on good plays, fine. You know, if they start giving up some where the team tends to lose a little bit of confidence in the goalie in front of them, then it's more, it's more of a struggle going into the game because the, the team maybe has to ch- alter the way they play a little bit. Uh, but the goaltending so far has been very good. And, you know, like I said, there haven't been very many negatives. When you start 5-1, and one, you know, you have to point to a few things when you lose a game, and I'm sure that's what Dave Tippett will do. There's very few negatives right now, and and as long as the orders don't backslide here, don't think okay we get this in the bag now we're five and one, and suddenly they wake up a week from now five and four, and you know hanging on to that five and nothing start. Great, they just uh, the mantra should be with all teams don't lose two in a row, try not to lose two in a row. If you lose one, at least if you lose the second game, at least get a point in a shootout or an overtime, so you get a point. Don't lose two in a row. And it's easier said than done uh, on the road. If you lose a game on the road and you go into another team's building, it's tough to not lose two in a row. But when you're now coming home for two, you would hope that they can rebound. 
Uh, and they're playing a team, Philadelphia, that is going to be playing in Calgary Tuesday night and then coming to Edmonton on Wednesday. And then you're playing a Detroit team, I believe, plays the night before as well, and then plays the Oilers uh, on Friday. So they're getting two teams that have played the night before, which uh, is certainly an advantage for a home team for sure. Now, the Oilers lost Adam Larson in the first game of the season. And there was concern that you're taking a veteran, you know, one of your top four defensemen, top pairing defensemen out of the lineup, and you have to put a rookie in there. You have Ethan Bear and Joel Pearson playing full time. You know, here we are after five games, and they've played well. Yeah, they haven't missed Adam as much as I thought they would. Uh, in a shutdown role because Bear, Ethan Bear has stepped into play with Darnell Nurse. And and while he's not the shutdown, aggressive, bigger body that Adam Larson is, he's got deft hands that when the puck's in his end, he can get, get the puck, move the puck north and get the puck out of the end, out of their end. So the, he's worked, he, he's played very well, I think. And with every game he plays, he's thinking to himself, okay, I can play in this league. You know, the first time up, he was a call-up, and and it was like he was still like on a honeymoon, just getting through the games. This time around, it looks like he he's digging in and says, "Okay, I can play in this league." And then if you can get the trust of the coaching staff to where I, they can't play him as many minutes as he's playing. I don't think I don't think for a rookie he should be playing that many minutes. Uh, I think he should be more in the sixteen-minute range than the twenty-minute range. But as long as the coach Dave Tippett and the Jimmy Playfer, who's looking after the defense, wants to have him out there and has trust in him. His his confidence is going to go up too. He's played well. Joel Person, he moves the puck well. I think he's going to have to figure out that he's going to get steamrolled a little bit more in the NHL than he did in Sweden. He's been rocked a couple of times behind the net where he, that wouldn't happen in in Europe. More room to make a play, and and he's been rocked a couple of times, and he's already you know got hurt once with a a shoulder injury, uh, and he got clobbered last night by Andrew Shaw. Good hit. Andrew didn't want to fight Kara, and, and why? You know, good for Kara for coming to his defense, but Shaw's a smaller player, and he's not fighting a bigger player, so it didn't happen. But he's played well enough, certainly, with Oscar Kleffbaum to stay in the lineup, and so far they haven't missed them. We'll see how they are when Washington comes in and they don't have Larson and they're playing against Ovechkin and, and Backstrom and, and that team, you know, a little bigger, bigger team. We'll see how they are. But for now, everything's fine. And you bring up Oscar Kleffbaum and, you know, moving away from the rookies. I mean, Kleffbaum has played 25 minutes a night. He's obviously filling their number one defenseman role. And, you know, a player like Matt Benning as well, he's really picked up his game this so far this season. You can say he's taken a step ahead in his career as well. Well, none of the defense, I mean, Matt Benning is, is the fan's whipping boy as every team's got one. And I can remember when Corey Cross, of all people, was the whipping boy, you know, a defensive defenseman. They didn't like Corey and eventually he got traded to Pittsburgh. They just had to get him out of town because every time he touched the puck, the fans booed. So in Matt's case, they're expecting something that's, was he suddenly going to be Eric Carlson? No. Was he suddenly going to be Adam Larson? No. 
but he's a good NHL player. And, you know, they fall back on the ab, but he's a third pairing defenseman and he makes too much money. Well, 1.9 million is not that much. He's not making 4 million to play in the third pairing. So he's been, I think he's been fine. Uh, and Chris Russell's been good too. So they play a little different style than the other guys do. Uh, but they've been fine. And Clefbaum, yeah, Clefbaum and Nurse are by far the horses on the blue line. They're the ones that are going to play 25 minutes a game. And as long as you've got two-minute defensemen that can play 25 minutes a game, and at the end of the night they're not saying, oh, that was five minutes more than I can play. They seem to enjoy playing 25 minutes a game. So they're on different pairings, and as long as you can have one defenseman that can play 25 minutes on two different pairings, you're, that's half the game. You don't necessarily want the same two guys playing the, the 25 minutes because then you've got four other defensemen to figure out. But so far, the 25 minutes a game they're playing is just fine. I remember, and I don't remember what year it was, but it was, you know, back in the 90s sometime. And uh, I was working at a restaurant and uh, who comes and sits down, but uh, Ted Green and his wife. I recognized Ted Green. I watched hockey. I knew who the orders were. He was a very personal man. He he wouldn't stop cracking jokes with me. Um, I, partly because I re- I said, "Hey, I know who you are. You're Ted Green. You you were the I can't remember if he was the head coach or if he was an assistant coach at the time. But you know, I was actually I was surprised by that because he you know he was very friendly. There are times when you meet people who are you know have some uh, some level of fame, whether it's a local hero or whatever. You don't always get that, but Teddy Green, he was very nice to me. And I always remembered that. And uh, well, of course, he Teddy was, Green... Teddy was a split personality. When the game was on, he the game was on. Mm-hmm. You know, he was all business. Kind of reminds me of Lee Fogelin, sort of, when Lee was a player. Eyes burning when the game was on, take no prisoners. And I, I play tough, and then off the ice, he was a quiet, nice guy. Um, Teddy was the same way, you know, quietly went about helping people out, whether it was the Mustard Seed or the Good Samaritan Society for years and nobody knew. Um, he had a nice sense of humor. You know, when he spoke as a coach would, to criticize something, you better listen because he didn't like it. And, uh, but, you know, everybody had the utmost respect for him. And the, the whole thing with Teddy was the younger people don't know Ted Green. It's this, it's, that's, that's the, the thing with the Oilers have now with the young fan base. They know who Wayne Gretzky is, but nobody saw, none of them saw Wayne Gretzky play. You, you know, a lot of these people barely saw, you know, can remember Bill Ranford from 1990 or that Stanley Cup. Or, you know, their report, point of reference is 2006 when the Oilers were in the Stanley Cup final, which is 13 years ago now. Uh, and a lot of those people are 30. That's their reference. And Ted Green was a player who played in the uh, 60s and the 70s and then coached in the 80s and into the, you know, into the 90s for the Oilers. But that's a long time ago for a fan base. But, you know, his legacy with the Oilers is right up there with, you know, if not the players with their numbers retired, it's certainly right up there as as a very integral part of the Oilers when they were winning all their cups. And he wasn't just along for the ride. He was he had a very large input with the players and uh, and the other coaches. 
I'm sure most people listening to this would know that Ted Green passed away on the weekend. Um, he was 79 years old. He's a Winnipeg native too, right? Winnipeg native, St. Boniface. And uh, like, he, like Glenn Sather pointed out, he had an argument one day with Don Mazinkowski about bilingual signs in Canada and how expensive they were. And it was a waste of, they're spending way too much money for all these signs. And Teddy coming from St. Boniface, it doesn't get much more French than St. Boniface. You know, so he was coming from a point of reference of, of not somebody from, uh, you know, Porter's La Prairie in Winnipeg. He was coming from St. Boniface, which is a large French Canadian community. So, uh, he wasn't afraid to debate anybody and, uh, but he was also, uh, a good listener. So, uh, as it, as I wrote that later Mazinkowski sent him an autographed copy of a book, of his book. So. They got along famously. Now, Glenn Sather added him to the staff early, in the early 80s, before they started winning the Cups, right? I mean, 1982. 82. And he was with the organization for a Until long time. Until 1990, I think, three, I think, 93. And then George Burnett came in as a coach. Um because he served as an assistant under Sather and then Muckler. And yeah, then he, he became, associated with John when they won the Cup in 90. Right. Because, and uh, he became the head coach after Muckler moved on to Buffalo. Yes. And he was head coach. You two know, obviously two during, years and then I think about 20 games into a third year. What happened was his first year he got the Oilers to the conference final in 92 and they lost. Uh and then the team just fell apart. You know, they had nothing left in the tank. Yeah, they were been trading everybody. Trading everybody. It was a poor team. Missed the playoffs the next year and then were just as bad to start the next year. And Teddy's health wasn't uh, wasn't great. And, you know, Glenn Sather stepped back in his coach and said, this isn't working. And, you know, it was almost like, a, I'm going to help Teddy out here. This team's terrible. I'm not leaving Teddy coaching this team anymore. It's my team, so I'll step in and, co and coach. Um, but yeah, he was he was a good head coach. He was an excellent assistant coach. Um, and like I said, when Ted when you knew Ted Green, Ted Green was able to take the players. It's kind of like the the head coach is the head coach. Sather was the psychologist. Muckler was the was the X's and O guy and. And Teddy was kind of the buffer between the players and and uh, and uh, head coach, and he was really good at it. Now, of course, he was terrible. Ted Green when he played, you know, he played for the Bruins for the when they won the two cups there in the early late sixties, early seventies. Played with you know same team with Bobby Orr and Phil Esposito and the like. And then he he was one of the players that jumped to the World Hockey Association. Um, but he was a, he was a, a rugged defender. I, I know he's also known for the stick swinging incident with Wayne Mackey and he had to have surgery for a fractured skull and came back to play after. So, you know, he played was a all part of it. through the WHA until mm -hmm. it was, you know, last year in the league. So he, pl he played in Boston in the WHA and then played in Winnipeg mm -hmm. for a few years, uh, for the Jets. So yeah, he kept playing. He was there before Bobby Orr got there uh, in the early 60s. And then when Orr got there, in the, you know, later part of the 60s, missed the, their cup win, missed the whole year after he hit the fractured skull, but he came back and played when they won in 72. So 
His name is on the cup twice there and on the cup five times for the owners. So it's a lot of cup rings. Defensive defenseman, you know, more so than uh, a puck mover for sure. Yeah, you know, quote unquote, terrible Ted, but like I said, nice guy. Nice guy. You didn't want to play against him even in your own practice in Boston. So he was, you'd go around him in a practice, you'd get swatted. That's the Oil Spills podcast for today. You can subscribe to Oil Spills via Apple's podcast app or iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you may access your podcasts. 